he was really my spiritual father and it really hurt and it caused a lot of divisions but i was like you know this is what this is what the scripture says but this is what this is what christianity is saying and these things are not adding up he started telling us that girls you need to you need to dress for your future husbands you shouldn't be dressing for anyone else you and i'm sitting there <laughs> as a 10 year old going i'm 10 why am i wor- why should i be worried about how i'm dressing the openness and sharing and the honesty and how difficult that is because you it, it can be used against you and when that happens you know a, a time or or maybe two if you'll even after the first time will open yourself up again it it's uh it's really painful and it, and it becomes you feel really isolated come over me for this guy and it, it, just his facial expressions looking around like i don't belong here mm. and that made me feel so sad and i was just like i don't belong here either then so pervasive in that culture of like this this idea of american exceptionalism and and like we have to have this flag and we have to be like if if you aren't for the war if you aren't for whatever then you're not really a christian and i'm like how does that fit with a cross um and and that i think kind of shattered the like the, the armor already had a lot of cheeks yeah. But that kind of like was the final blow to be like, okay, I don't know that this is true. And I'm kind of starting to believe that it's not. For the most part, I kept those questions to myself um, because I started to get this feeling um, as much as I loved my church, as much as I loved um, the people there, as much as I felt like this strong sense of belonging, I, I, I really did not feel like it was an okay place to ask really difficult questions. But I I have always thought that that's so not toxic, but like unhealthy because it's teaching us how to be clever and like sneaky with things that we're doing. The Scott Stebbin Podcast presents a Deconstructing Faith series where we look at people's stories of what was built, what was lost, and what was found in between. Episode 9, Britta Jaeger. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have been enjoying this uh, series of Deconstructing Faith. Uh, Hopefully, you've been enjoying the stories. Hopefully, they've been resonating with you and kind of helping you through uh, some of you who may be going through a deconstructing process. So today, joining me is uh, Britta Yeager. So Britta, welcome to the show. Hello. So Britta, just kind of give like a brief introduction of who you are um, and kind of what you're doing. Oh man, this could go a few different ways. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I'm Britta. Um, I, you know, I grew up in the church. Um, that was kind of my, like, from my existence. Um, so it was kind of really tied into my identity. So that's, you know, always been a huge part of who I am, who I was. Um, 
So I would be remiss in uh, not stating that. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in the church, uh, Church of God out of Anderson, um, which is how uh, we know each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a home that was generally pretty conservative. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, you know, been in church my whole life up until just recently, actually. So mm. um trying to honestly trying to find out what my identity is now outside mm. of that. So that's been um that's been a journey in and of itself. Yeah. And even even before we even before we start recording, you're kind of we I was talking about going to my 20th year uh, <laughs> high school anniversary and you go, oh well I was the I was always the Christian kid that no one talked to. So just yeah. hearing that you've been part of the church for all your life. Um, oh yeah. I was the, I was the goody two shoes that always had the, <laughs> you know, the Jesus, the answers for everything. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's not, and sometimes that's not a bad thing. And sometimes it's, you know, it, I think it's just kind of how it is. And especially in that society, I can, I mean, yeah, definitely. So, you know, you talked a little bit about growing, kind of growing up in a somewhat, I guess I can't remember what term you use, like mostly conservative. Yeah. yeah. So, so kind of, so kind of describe that a little bit more in detail. Like when you say like growing up in a conservative home, like what does that look like? Um, you know, generally everything was about church, you know, um, we were there Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, special events. Um, so the church really dictated our, you know, our home, our lifestyle, um, for the most part, it was, you know, dad is the head mom and then kids, um, what dad says go goes, although my, my mom did have some pushback and she is definitely where I, uh, gleaned my independence. from. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she was a, she was a very strong woman, but yeah, I mean, generally politically conservative, too. Um, you know, my parents considered themselves uh, independents, but I guarantee if I asked them to recall who they voted for, it was probably Republican every time. Um, and, you know, that that looks different ways, you know, based on I, I feel like the like political parties have definitely changed over the past few years. So mm-hmm. I think that looks a little bit different than it does now. Um, but for the most part, like, you know, growing up, um, it was, you know, clothing, even very conservative. You had to watch what you were wearing, um, watched what you said, no swearing, no drinking, no smoking, no, you know, mm-hmm. that, that level of conservatism, I would say. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting that you've kind of said, um, it's interesting that you said about politics and how those are changing. Cause I can remember, my father-in-law, who's very conservative, mm-hmm. you know, my wife grew up in a Baptist church. So, you know, okay, yeah. as conservative as you could probably get. <laughs> and I can remember he called, he called, he called my wife, Laura, and during the 2016 election. And he said, you know, this is the first time I have never voted Republican in like mm-hmm. 50 years, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was yeah. just so strange on how, things has shifted. And I think even now, like I take, like, I mean, I can't remember. I usually don't tell people how I vote just because, you know, there's always fights and there's a funny story about that too, which I'll share with you after we close. (laughs) But, um, 
But even when I do like the eye sideways and I put stuff in and I kind of put what I believe, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes that my top answers are never the first party candidates. Oh, they're 100%. usually they're usually like in my 50s or 60s, like okay. usually getting third party all the time. It's like, well, great. I'm never none of my candidates are going to win. <laughs> like, what do I do? Oh, I, I know exactly what you mean. My my boyfriend and I have both been exploring the green party. That seems mm -hmm. to like align with a lot of our, you know, thoughts. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, like growing up, yeah, my parents considered themselves independents. Um, I think that was honestly so they weren't on the mailing list for the Republicans. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as we talk about, as you talk about mostly most of your life just being, always going to church, and that was kind of what dictated your life, church life, Christian lifestyle, conservative lifestyle. Um where did you start to kind of notice or see some shifts or maybe some cracks where you start really kind of having almost like this identity crisis in some ways? Yeah. So that one's almost a hard answer for me mm -hmm. because I feel like there's always been something in my life that didn't quite click. Um, in that essence, like, you know, I always felt like I, needed to answer with Sunday school answers to, to make the adults happy. Like, um, whether I really thought those answers were true or not, I knew the answers to give. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was always, <laughs> I was always a very independent, uh, kid. You could refer to me as a, um, a budding young feminist <laughs> um, <laughs> since I was, I mean, just tiny. I was always, you know, girls can do everything boys can do. And, you know, that was, that was discouraged, um, mm -hmm. by pretty much everyone, but my parents, um, mm -hmm. my parents were very encouraging of me just being who I was. Um, but outside of them, it felt like I was told, no, you, you know, you need to calm down. You need to be more quiet. Um, and, you know, I was always told that God made us exactly who we are and he loves us as we are. And I never understood, well, why do I need to change who I am? If God loves me as I am, if God made me this way, why do I need to change? Why do I need to act a certain way? Um, you know, I had to, I had to wear dresses because they were nice and just what girls wore. And I hated that. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I recall one very specific in, uh, in instance that I was actually just talking uh, with my boyfriend about this the other day. Um, I was nine or 10 um, in Sunday school and our Sunday school teacher, I don't remember why this came up, um, but you know, the class was split between girls and boys. It was probably about 50, 50. Um, and he started telling us that girls, you need to, you need to dress for your future husbands. You shouldn't be dressing for anyone else. You, and I'm sitting there <laughs> as a 10 year old going, I'm 10. Why am I, why should I be worried about how I'm dressing? Why yeah. should I be worried about, you know, my supposedly future husband when that's not for another like 10, you know, 15, maybe 20 years. I don't know. Yeah. So like it, there were things that just didn't make sense to me. Um, 
And then, man, then there was farther into youth group. Um, I feel like this was probably something that a lot of women listening can, uh, can akin to is that, you know, the girls one day um, all met in the church library and we had to take a purity pledge. Mm. Uh, and I learned later that it was just a thing for the girls. Guys didn't have to do it. Um, and for me, that just proved that the young girls were taught that men were in charge of everything in the church except their own sexual urges. Mm. Um, and not to, you know, I don't know how to exactly how I want to phrase this in a good way, but um, it basically put no responsibility on them. And whether you like it or not, that promotes rape culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I didn't really think about that until years later, but just the fact that the girls were made to do this and the guys weren't like that also started triggering things for me. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting because I know during, and if I'm remember my timelines, right. When all, I mean, this was like purity culture, like almost nineties, early two thousands, when a lot of this was taking place. And, and even, and even like a couple podcasts back, I mean, I did a three-part series talking about sex in the church and it was interesting because I had a couple actually I was interviewing three ladies and they talked about that and I and I can even talk about from my perspective like I remember signing a purity pledge mm-hmm. at international youth convention oh, in two, yeah. 1996 wow. in Phoenix Arizona okay yeah. like I, re, I mean it was everybody did it so the fact that so you know and I mean now I look at it back now and it was just, like I said before, like it was weird yeah. for me. And I even told, like I told the late, the women that I was interviewing, I said, you know, the first time I ever heard about abstinence was never in the church. It was from Planned Parenthood in fifth grade mm. during, during when they would come and teach about sex ed for like a week. And, mm. and I think that probably stuck with me, anything than the church taught me. Um, hold on. My dog's barking, Uh, but yeah, but anyway, it's, but it was just so weird that that has been, and even just now, especially years later, seeing how much that culture had affected so many women and even, and not only if women were like physically, physically raped from that and then felt guilt from it because they felt like their purity was broken because someone took it there was also kind of a spiritual emotional thing feeling like that well i even if i want to wear something mm-hmm. cute i can't because i'm worried that i'm causing other people to sin um and i and i and i even talked about church camp how i would always get i would always get uncomfortable when all the women would have to come into the dining room and i always had to hear the 3b speech ladies i don't want to see your boobs your belly or your butt and it's just like and i'm sitting in there because i'm going over planning stuff with with our director and i'm thinking and i'm looking around it's like you know for a guy who just walks around camp all the time because i'm always going from place to place and getting stuff prepared there's nothing that i see that anyone's wearing where i'm thinking okay that's inappropriate oh yeah like, like when, when we packed for camp you know if if uh, spaghetti tank tops were mm-hmm. in our luggage, that was coming right out. You had a two piece in there that was coming right out. And it's like, well, these were made for girls. I don't know. Like, 
this is to keep us comfortable. It's hot. Like it is freaking hot out there. It's, you know, in the nineties, we don't want to be walking around in t-shirts and jeans. Top. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I know. And I mean, I think the only time <laughs> and, 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 and even even with that, like when the girls would have to wear their one pieces or they'd have to wear a color shirt over mm-hmm. over their bikini or even if they had a tank bikini, I know that was big in like the 90s. <laughs> but um, I can remember there was one guy who would walk around without a shirt on and just his swim trunks and he walk and he and he would like walk away from like the pool area. And I remember I probably had to yell at that guy more than any other girl like, hey. You need mm-hmm. to put a shirt on. <laughs> like you got to be either by the volleyball courts or the pool. You know the rules. Like I probably was harder on that kid than any other women during my whole entire camp career. Um, Which is funny for me to hear because you know we had youth pool parties uh-huh. for for our church group, and it was always at my parents' house because we were the ones with the above ground pool that were willing to allow a group of you know 16 and (laughs) 15 and 17 year olds to just get hog wild in the water um but you know girls were yeah we were made to wear either one pieces or the colored t-shirts and the guys didn't really have any rules other than um you know speedos yeah no speedos (laughs) (laughs) which i don't know any guy that i would be like hey i'm gonna wear a speedo to a youth thing Unless they're like, unless they're like a, on the swim team. But even then, I don't think they would wear a Speedo. It's usually like old Italian guys that wear Speedos. So they're probably not in youth group. I should hope not. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, so so we see kind of like from kind of like adolescence to youth having this thing so kind of where did you start to see any more like cracks or questions coming up like kind of like during your college years and even like kind of like where you're at now so I think for a while I really tried to suppress the uh the things that I was questioning um and you know I I was basically I don't want to phrase this I was basically really heavily suggested that I should go to a Christian college um, because if you went to a, if you went to a public college, um, it was just constantly going to be drugs in the dorm room, people having sex, you know, people trying Mm -hmm. to, uh, to try to pull you away from God. Um, And, you know, that was basically meant to scare us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so I ended up going to a private Christian university. Um, I, I enjoyed my time there, but there were definitely things like that. I continued to, to push down, um, that I wasn't really sure of. And I remember one specific instance, uh, in my old Testament class, because, you know, Christian university, you got to take those Bible classes. Yeah. So I was in an old Testament class and we were having a group discussion and I don't remember what the entire discussion entailed, but I know we started talking about, um, you know, death and the afterlife and where we were going and, um, why we were making these choices. And I remember basically, 
basically stating, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian because I don't want to spend eternity in hell. And Mm. one of the, one of the students, uh, one of the other college students asked me, he's like, that, is that the only reason? And I kind of thought about it for a minute and I'm like, yeah, I don't don't, like, I don't want to be tortured for forever, you know? And, Mm. um, I, I think that was probably a defining moment for me now that I think back on it. Um, it didn't feel like it in the moment. Um, but looking back on it, I realized like, why, yeah, why do I believe these things other than it's what I've always believed and Mm. because I don't want to go to hell. Um, so that was, you know, that was, uh, a big moment. Um, and then after college, I ended up moving out of where I lived because uh, I lived in a very small town. Uh, there wasn't a lot of job opportunity. So I moved um, up to a larger city and I joined a local church and <laughs> the local church basically turned out to be a mega church um, <laughs> that it, it's just a, a church that has um well, I'll use their phrase. It's one church in multiple locations. If, if you live in Cleveland, you might know what church I'm talking about. Um, but there started to be a lot of hypocritical things that I really was not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I had a really good friend who was on the worship team with me. Um, and he had a run-in um, with someone and there basically, basically became a legal battle. Um, and the church, I guess it was more the, the church leaders decided that they would send an email to everyone, everyone in the Mm. church. Um, We're talking 5,000-ish people. Mm -hmm. Um, They sent out an email that was basically separating themselves from him. And they completely misconstrued what the crime was. Mm. Um, And they led people to believe that he was a pedophile. Hmm. And that obviously did not sit well with me um, because he wasn't, that wasn't even close to what the, the actual issue was. Um, And it was, I, I still don't know why they did it. I've, I've really wanted to reach out to them on multiple occasions and just have not. Um, But, you know, I started seeing, Besides that, I was seeing a lot of just general bigotry over people. Um, And I didn't understand that because, you know, we're all supposed to be children of God. So why are you treating this person this way? Um, You know, and then we're taught to to tithe, to give money to, to the church so that they can reach out to others and help those in need. And then our pastors bought a nearly million dollar mansion um, with the money that was coming into the church. Mm. And I, I just, it just was mind boggling to me. 
Um, and, you know, then there was also the anti-science stance that so many people were taking and the anti-LGBTQ things, which again, we're all God's children, supposedly. Why are you treating people this way? Mm. Um, and I just, I just couldn't anymore. Um, and then I also had my parents tell me about something that came to light a few years ago that I didn't know about in my church growing up where the church elders um, basically kept hidden that another church elder was um, molesting young children. And I, I just could not wrap my brain around the things that were supposed that were happening in the church that were supposedly sins mm -hmm. and nobody, nobody really seemed to acknowledge that. Yeah, that's wow. That is, it's, it's very fascinating because at the beginning of this year, I ended up reading uh, Scott McKnight and Laura Brennigan's a church called Tove where they tackled a lot of, these issues. And one of the things that I've always been a proponent was is transparency in the church, mm -hmm. because I feel like anytime the church starts keeping things secret or covered up or hiding information away from whether it's leaders, the pastor, or even the congregation, that it's going to cause a ripple effect and cause damage, like a lot of damage. And it's just so fascinating to just hear a lot of these things. And even not only that, but misdirecting things too, to kind of get away from what's happening. You know, you can, you know, people can question your friend and things could get misconstrued, but no one will question the almost million dollar mansion that the pastor buys. Yeah. You know, um, like even, even I had, even there's a person and I, again, I don't know what, when these episodes or how I'm going to release these episodes. So this may be before or after, but you know, one of, one of my, one, someone I interviewed out in California went to this big church where a lot of celebrities go to mm -hmm. and has all this money, all this fancy worship equipment. And yet right across the street are, is a homeless community Yeah, and nothing is going to help them. Yeah. And I oh, think that's, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say yeah, that actually sort of became an issue um, where I was attending church up until recently. Um, you know, we had multiple locations that we went to and most of them were in really nice neighborhoods because they wanted, you know, the money coming in exactly. um, and they ended up renting a space um, in the Clark Fulton area of Cleveland, which is um, lower class, uh, kind of blue collary. Um, there's a lot of crime in those neighbor and the neighborhoods around there. Um, and we had one staff member that just was really passionate about leading that, um, leading that church and being able to, um, just reach out to that community. And at first, uh, our, our head pastors were telling him, you know, we're fully behind this. 
And as he started making suggestions of ways that we could help the community was, no, um, actually we, we're gonna need that money for another church plant. Uh, you know what, no, actually we're not gonna be able to do that food drive because I think we're gonna do this over in the ritzy neighborhood instead. Um, yeah, we're not gonna do that backpack giveaway because X, Y, Z. Um, and it just, they basically never ended up doing any real missions in that area. And if I recall correctly from what I've heard since I've left, um, that campus doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just horrifyingly sad. Yeah. And it's, it, and I think kind of, it's, it's interesting because you talk about your time in college and that one defining moment on, you know, why are you a Christian? Is mm-hmm. it just because you don't want to be tortured for all eternity in hell? Mm-hmm. So now it's like, here are some things that when I'm reading the Bible and what I'm learning from the Bible is, you know, God made us, this is how we're supposed to treat people. And we see all these teachings and all of a sudden it's like, well, here's what Jesus is talking about. Here's what the apostles are talking about. And yet I'm part of a community, a Christian community mm-hmm. that doesn't want to help the least of these, that right. doesn't want to min- actually do ministry that's going to be effective, transformative, life-changing. We're going to do ministry that's going to be part of a church plant system that's going to help get butts and seats and money into our bank accounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So geez, that's insane. That is so, so how, how long ago have you, have you left this church? How long has it been? Um, so that's actually kind of funny. Um, so my boyfriend and I attended together. Um, we actually met at this church. Um, we were both on the worship team and, um, we kind of moved to different campuses together and he started feeling like he needed to leave, um, in October of 2019. Mm. Um, so that's when he left and I was just really trying to push through and like, you know, maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have a breakthrough. Maybe things will change. Um, and I kept hanging on. And at one point I just, I just couldn't anymore. Mm. Um, there were just a lot of things and I'm like, I just, I don't think I believe these things anymore. I don't think I share the same values and thoughts as the people here. Um, and so I, I told our worship director that um, I was going to be leaving. Um, and her, her, first, uh, her first response was, would you like to talk to the head pastors? And I just, I really wanted to tell her no because they're part of the reason why I'm leaving. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I don't think that conversation would go real well. Um, yeah. But I, I told her I was leaving and I basically gave her a month because at the time I was, um, I was running our, the technology side of things. Mm. I was our technical director um, and I didn't want to kind of leave them in a lurch. So yeah. my last Sunday was supposed to be at the end of March in 2020. 
Oh my gosh. And that happened to be the very first Sunday that they canceled services because of COVID. Mm. <laughs> so my, my exit lined up uh, exactly with the pe- pandemic. Wow. And, and, and I, in a way, I understand the idea of holding on, thinking that there's going to be a breakthrough, that things are going to change. I mean, I left, I mean, I left, I resigned from pastor, from the pastor at the church I was tending back in June. And a lot of it, and I mean, there's a part of it where there are things that happened. I mean, and I would say, if anything, I should have left sooner. Mm-hmm. I should have left sooner because, and it wasn't necessarily anything wrong with the people I was ministering to or anything else, but there is just some things within leadership that just really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And that was dictating certain ways of how I was going to do ministry or being told being getting, you know, again, like you said, yes, we're going to support, we're going to support you in this new campus ministry or this mm-hmm. new thing. And then all of a sudden you no longer have that support anymore. And it's like, okay, what happened? Like, why is this? And it just seemed like it got to the point where things just got very ugly behind the curtain. And it was just like, you know, I just can no longer feel like that things are going to change anymore. Even though there was a point in time where I really thought it was and we were making good traction. Eventually, it just got to the point where things started to go downhill. And I mean, if and if I was going to be honest, I probably would have left probably sometime sometime last year in 2020 probably right around probably at least plan it out so that my son could finish school Mm. and have have at least a normal school year and then go from there and the pandemic hit and I felt you know what I don't want to (laughs) leave you know it's going to be hard I don't want to leave so I'll do this and you know created so much video content and tried to get them helping with the streaming and everything else and even after all this work and all this effort, I still felt like I was always being criticized about something. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really interesting. I think I, I had the same feelings, like I need to help with it. I like, I need to make sure that they're on the right path with this. And, you know, I realized at a certain point that I feel like that this has been like, just ingrained into me, like, uh, that we're supposed to be helping in whatever way we can, whether we're appreciated for it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was, I was on the worship team for six or seven years here. Um, you know, I, I played bass for most of those years Mm -hmm. and then I started doing audio. Um, and then I moved into the tech director role and it was constantly like, you need to bring excellence I know you're volunteers, but you need to act like this is a paid gig. Um, and it was just constantly demanding more and more of you. And you were guilt, like you were guilt tripped if you couldn't, like if you couldn't do something. It, it was, yeah. I don't know. It, for me, it was mind boggling. Like yeah. they would constantly tell you, like, you know, we want to make sure that you know you're you're bringing your heart, but that you're also taking time off to care for yourself. And then when you wanted a Sunday off, it was like, you know, we really need you this Sunday um, Mm -hmm. over at this campus. You know, it just, it was one thing after another. And it was, it was hard at the end 
to kind of get out of that mindset. Yeah. And, and, and even in, even from, you know, and again, you're speaking from someone who was kind of using your gifts and talents to kind of help the church. And I'm coming from the position of, you know, I'm the guy, I'm the, I'm the bad pastor. <laughs> and it was, and even, even then, like there'd be times where I felt like, you know, I'd be doing all this stuff and especially October, like, you know, I think October was, especially last year, October was really rough. The whole pastor appreciation month. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like, you know, an email was sent out to the congregation, like, Hey, you know, let's kind of do something for pastor Scott. Cause you know, he's going through, you know, he's trying to help us through this pandemic, everything mm-hmm. else. And really the one thing I really wanted out of everything was just, you know, someone from leadership to just go up to a microphone and during a church service, cause we were kind of doing hybrid stuff at this point, had separation yeah. and meeting in our gymnasium and, and doing all that. Just someone to say, Hey, you know, you know, let's, let's, let's appreciate our pastor. Thank you so much for kind of helping us. It's been a really rough year and we just want to appreciate it. Like literally mm-hmm. that's all I wanted sure. and it never happened. And my wife and my kids were watching from home. And I remember my wife said, oh, we got into service late. Did anybody say anything about, you know, thank you and everything else? And I said, no. And she was upset. Like literally, and she goes, yeah. you know, I think, I think I'm done. Like that was her words. I think I'm done because I it just showed that, you know, it kind of cemented to her that no one within the congregation really or at least anyone from the leadership never really appreciated me, which was pretty evident when they would say, well, Hey, we want you to talk and tell us how you feel and tell us how you think and everything else we want you to, you want, we want you to communicate with us. I go, okay. And then I could sit in another meeting and can be criticized or yelled at about something else. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to open up my heart to you and be vulnerable with you. You're like, no, 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 that's not happening. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it is. And it, it's so fascinating that you talk about going all the way back to the beginning of, you know, the church kind of dictated mm-hmm. what you did. And even when you start to see, Hey, you know, this isn't really looking like the church. Mm-hmm. The church that I see in scripture, the church that I read about, the church that I'm hearing proclaimed from teachers and preachers and evangelists and, and everybody, it's not reflecting what I'm actually seeing and what I'm actually witnessing. Right. Yep. And I think it's, and I think it's in those moments where we kind of have that hard point of, you know, well, maybe God can change, or maybe this can go through, or maybe this is just kind of a valley, but we're going to get out of the valley and we're going to be back on the summit. And it's like, no, it's it's (laughs) not going to be like that. And sometimes I think, you know, and again, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, if God made, if God made me this way, then, then, you know, who are you to dictate, you know, and I think in some, I think God kind of gives us a filter in some ways of saying, Hey, this is not how I designed a church. This mm-hmm. is not how I designed things. And I be, I think about Jesus talking about to his disciples and John at the last supper. And he says, you know, when the Holy spirit comes upon you, you know, he's going to remember, he's going to remember you, everything that I've taught you, he's going to guide you. And it's almost like, I feel like sometimes when there's those moments where you go, this kind of looks bad <laughs> and I don't like this. And this really feels uncomfortable. And, and I'm really questioning like why our pastors keeps asking us about money. And yeah. then, 
buys almost a half, almost like a close to a million dollar mansion. Like, oh yeah, especially when they had they at once a month, once a month there was a sermon about tithing and giving to the church. Oh yeah Yeah. goodness gracious oh yeah that that didn't even include their trips to italy and you know like oh yeah they had uh they had some really insane family trips that they would go on man how do how do i get that gig (laughs) like jeez I guess you just have to start a mega church. I, don't I, I guess I'd start a mega church or maybe I picked the wrong uh, denomination to be a part of. <laughs> need to go, need to go to whatever Joel Osteen's doing word of faith, be a part of that movement. And then I can like wear $5 million suits and meet and like, you know, have services at the, um, at the queue. <laughs> Yeah, I our I think our uh, pastors were about one step away from the plane. I <laughs> getting a plane. Uh, yeah, our our ten year their ten year church anniversary they hosted at um, the Woolstein Center in Cleveland. <laughs> it's just just insanity. Wow. Yeah, they they rented out an event center for that. Just Goodness, insanity. Goodness, and and it's been funny. I've been reading about information about other churches worldwide and seeing that in like what was it south korea there's a church plan out there that's like has eight million members what? and the whole and the whole genesis of this church was literally we want to help pray help the poor and pray over the sick for healing and that literally was their mission and they grew based on that so it's very interesting because I mean, I, I mean, again, I go, I'll be, I'll be in Ohio next week for, to do my in-person classes for my doctorate, and I'm learning about different church models and and mm-hmm. everything else, and I'm just like, that's amazing, like that that really everything that they're doing is basically help the poor and pray for the sick, like that's that's their whole that's their whole like mission statement. <laughs> And it's like, wow, like, and not like a mission statement where it's like, oh, yeah, love God, love others. I mean, I don't think the mission statement from the church you left is like, give money <laughs> to the church. Like, I don't think that was a, a core value of the church. And why should I attend church? Oh, well, you got to give us money so our pastors can go take trips to Italy. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So what are you doing? So you've kind of left pretty, pretty recently. Uh, what, what do you, how do you feel now where you're at now? How is your faith in some ways, if at all is developing? So I guess, so when I left, I had no concept of what deconstruction was. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, I actually learned about it through, um, through looking through different YouTube channels and things to try to figure out like, where do my beliefs align? Um, and I found a YouTube channel and, um, called God is gray. I don't know if you want to leave that in, the, in there or not. Um, no, that's fine. but, uh, I, she started, she was interviewing, um, this guy and she, it was actually on her podcast that I found this. Um, she was interviewing someone. I, his name, um, evades me right now, but he started talking about deconstructing and what that process is. And I just went, holy cow, like you can do that. Like you mm-hmm. can like actually sit down and change your mind about things. Like, you know, that was, uh, that was really new to me. Um, so basically what I started doing was 
okay, um, these things don't make sense to me. Um, I think this part of the Bible still makes sense to me. However, those two things kind of negate each other. So I basically just constantly was sitting there trying to like logic myself into trying to figure out if the things that I used to believe were still relevant to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started looking into, you know, more of the questions from my childhood that I had, Um, like, why do other people say they can hear God, but I can't, he's never spoken to me. Mm. Um, you know, why, why are boys supposedly more important than girls? If God made us all in his image and we're supposed to be perfect. Mm. Um, why are there so many interpretations of the Bible? If it's supposed to be clear, um, why was I so pressed to change my personality? If God made me the way I am, um, why does God supposedly bless us with these minor things in life? Um, but allow, you know, children in third world countries to die of starvation and like those kinds of questions generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, then I started, you know, digging a little bit deeper into the history of the Bible and learned some things that really, um, like I never knew, like the fact that the Bible actually started as oral tradition, um, and it was, you know, written down and then translated and then retranslated. And then some of the translations that we have now aren't even correct. Um, like some of the terms that are used in the Bible now were changed as late as the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's, it like was really boggling my mind. Um, and it just, at a certain point, I think I just came to terms that I consider myself more of a agnostic humanist. Um, mm. And I, I would love at a certain point to believe in a all caring, all loving, all knowing God. Um, but I just don't think it's the God of the Bible anymore. Mm. Yeah, I I do think that a lot of what I've experienced led me to that. Um, But, you know, I, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's just kind of where I'm at at this point. And, and, and I would, and I, I, I understand that a hundred percent. Like it, it's hard when you go and you have and I'm trying to figure, you know, have a certain type of culture where you're told this is how it is. And even when you question things, mm-hmm. it's like no one wants to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. No one wants to even tackle. No one's even bold enough to tackle. Like I remember it was just this past summer I was doing a it was during camp meeting and I was like kind of like the youth evangelist, which mm-hmm. No one wanted to do it, so I got thrown into it because I was the chair of the CET, <laughs> one of those things. It's like, okay, because, well, at this point, it's like, I don't even know if I'm still going to be in the state. I just resigned. I could be going back to Ohio. I could be sure. in a different state, so didn't want to commit to it. And then once it seemed like, oh, I'm probably going to be here for a while, <laughs> might as well. <laughs> um, but I had to teach a conference. I had to teach a conference for the all the pastors on bridging the generational gap and talk about why there's such a huge separation 
between your older generations and your newer generations as far as how they see the church and what they believe and everything else. And I, inv- and I invited teens as I'm like, guys, I know this might be boring, but I'd like you to come to this event and sit in here. And I remember just going through my whole spiel and talking about it, even through a couple of deconstruction videos that I saw on TikTok and use those as illustrations too. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and after I did all that, like ask if there's any questions, no questions um, from the adults and everyone thought it was very good. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then we met because at the dining hall, there's like this big porch and that's where all the teens like to congregate. And I was out there and, and I just asked the question, like, did I represent your guys' generation? Well, cause I was curious. Cause I mean, I'm an elder millennial, I guess, if that's right. what we want to call myself. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know about these younger millennials and Gen Z if I'm like even, and, and they just shook their head. They said, yeah, you, you, you kind of nailed on the head. I'm like, okay, good. I, at least I did my research. Um, <laughs> but then this one girl goes, well, I have a question. And she asked the question about, lbgtq in 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 their relation with the church yeah and i sat there and i answered any questions she had and i kind of talked about you know kind of some things i've seen both from a psychological perspective and from just examples and testimonies of other people and kind of really tried to really open up the possibilities to start thinking about these things instead of saying, oh, don't ask those silly questions. And there was a guy there who was a pastor from like Tampa, Florida. And he basically just said, dude, you're awesome. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, like, what do you mean? And he, and, he, and he basically said, you know, no one would ever tackle those issues in the church. Mm. It would simply just tell them, well, here's, you know, here's how it is and that's it. And then just ignore it. Or they say, don't ask questions. This is what we believe. This is it. And that's final. And not really say, well, here, here's a, here's kind of a, a palette of many different colors mm-hmm. of different things. And I mean, and I, and I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go into a little bit of depth, but it's like, you know, there's some people who love the Lord, were involved in church, were very active and yet they still have, they still identify as LBGTQ, still have same-sex attraction, still feel like that they need to go through transitions and, and everything else. And it's like, and then there's other people who have the same experience. They go to church, they do all this. And yet in some random cases, they've had those feelings, they've had those urges, they've had those desires. And all of a sudden it's like, they don't have them anymore. Mm. And it's like, I can't explain that. I can explain how you can have two people from the same tradition, same exact background, both equally love the Lord with all their heart. One still, I don't even know if I want to use the word struggle, but one still hasn't had any complete change. They're still, you know, gay, lesbian, transgendered. And then you have another one who could identify as that, but now they no longer do. Mm. And it's like, I don't know. And even when you look at the counseling and look at some of the science from counseling research, they can't explain it either. Hmm. And that's, and that's, and that's, and so the, for me, it says, you know, it's all kind of where I always go back to with them. It's like, basically, I think it's regardless of gender, sexuality, um, you know, race or, or condition or the situations or denominationalism you grew up in. If your focus is solely on trying to seek God and understand God and try to do that, however 
that journey may look like to you, you know, that's always going to be the right path. I mean, I could say, I, I mean, you could say, well, I don't believe any of this stuff and throw it in the trash and just walk away. Or you could just hold on to a belief system that you don't even not sure if you believe. And I think that's bad too. You know, I think I, in my opinion, I think they're both bad, but I feel like if you're continuing to go, you know, I really want to try to find the, the true God, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, I want to try to find out, you know, why is it that the church, no, talks about Jesus, but they don't really live like Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like that's, you know, why is that? And what's the, and I think, you know, there's been a lot, and I think there's just been a lot of great resources recently from not only a church called Tove, but even like Jesus and John Wayne, like some great things where you look at the history of American Christianity and go, oh, wow. That's that like you look at it and you go, well, that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> like, oh wow, like holy cow, like no wonder you can go overseas and see great things happening within Christianity and church movement, and then you go to America and you're just like, What the heck? Like, I I talked to a pastor, yeah. literally, I talked to a pastor who was part of an Anglington church that is a church plant from a church in Kenya. And I thought that was, I mean, when he told me that, I'm like, that's weird that I'm having Christians in Kenya planning churches in America. Hmm. That's weird. Like that's, that's, I mean, I think that is shocking, but at the same time, I think it's something that needs to be done. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's <laughs> like, how do I, how do I want to say this? It's almost like it's so white privilege of us mm. to, to think that nobody else can have an impact on the world, you know, like, Ooh, well, that's, that <laughs> sounds like colonialism. Exactly. It's like, we think, okay, we can go, we can go to Kenya, we can plant churches there, but for them to come here and plant a church like that, that doesn't compute. Why would they do that? You know, it's yeah. like, what? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, it's, 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 you're, it's, it's so interesting. And it's, and I feel like, you know, and it's actually something that I've been thinking about a lot and I might get in trouble and maybe this, hopefully no prospective churches who are trying to look for me for pastor, please don't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but I almost feel like the American church just needs to die. In a way, in a way, and not in a way so that a resurrection can happen. And I feel like now if there is some type of revival that is happening within American or like a third great awakening or whatever Mm -hmm. language we want to use, I really don't think it's going to come out of the American church. I think it's really going to come out of the streets and it's really going to come from the people who have left the church, people who are deconstructing, people who are sorting and trying to figure all this stuff out and basically say, you know, this is something that's going to happen. And then, of course, all I hear from, you know, my end is, well, young people don't go to church because it, they they just want to sleep in or or they just want to you know they just want to live a wild lifestyle and that's like my old person voice or 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 
or they just want to go to like the the big gigantic churches with the fog machines and the laser lights and the wailing guitars i'm like no they're not going to church because they don't believe in the product i have to believe in the product because we're marketing a god that doesn't exist a god that's not the god of the scriptures Right. I, I went to one of those churches. I went to the church that had the fog machine and, you know, the the Bethel music that we played every Sunday. And that was the church that also got me to re- wake up and realize this is this isn't it. Yeah. This is not it for me. And and, and, it's-, and it's like it, it put me into this place where I'm now, it's like, I'm pulling all of the religious clothes out of my closet one by one. And at one point I realized I have nothing left to wear. So I'm just going to walk around naked for a while until I find an outfit that makes sense for me. That is a great analogy. I love it. And we're just going to end on that because that's, <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, but Britta, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story. I definitely have learned a lot of your experience and kind of what you're going to. And, you know, I wish you the best of luck in kind of this journey that you're on and very excited for you. Well, thank you. Good luck with the rest of your interviews coming up. And I really am looking forward to hearing the podcast. Well, thank you so much. And guys, hopefully you're interested in hearing the podcast too, for those of you who are listening. Uh, I just hope that you guys have enjoyed it. Hopefully this is helping you with your own process and your own questions. And maybe maybe you're kind of in that same city, setting like Britta, where you're going to a church and you're just feeling like, well, why does the pastor live in a $2 million mansion, you know, or all these things. And you're really starting to question that. And it's okay to have those questions. And again, if you guys like this podcast, please give me a five-star review. Uh, This is just going to help other people find like-minded podcasts to be able to uh, understand and help them through their own process as well. And again, if you have any questions, feel free to just uh, email me or go to my website, thescottstedman.com. You can just email me there. Uh, We'd love to hear your questions and, and just maybe hopefully after this series, if there's a lot of questions coming in from the series maybe we'll try to get the band back together and and kind of do like a closing thing and just kind of discuss everything after everything's been released but guys thank you so much i hope you have a wonderful week and i'll have a new episode out uh soon talk to you guys later